Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast. I'm your host Andrew Pearson, and alongside me, as always, is my colleague Sean Gray. Hello. This is the Last Lap Podcast, home of Boo. Do 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 do. I don't have uh, twenty thousand screaming Italians to what was, back me up. What? What was that all about? Why were they doing the white stripes on the podium? It's just <laughs> That's what a, we all want to know. It's just a sport thing, isn't it? Because uh, um, that's—I uh, think it, if it was F1, it would be Alonso, wouldn't it? I think because that's what it works with. Do do Fernando Alonso and all that stuff. But it's just general sport, isn't it? Like they sing it everywhere now for for all sports. Like it happens in football a lot and stuff. So. <clears throat> there you go <laughs> it still makes me think that Lionheart is a fanny and if anybody else gets that reference then fair play <laughs> you're, you're listening to the wrong podcast probably <clears throat> so indeed we are indeed going to take a look at the Italian Grand Prix Welcome to the Cathedral of Speed. It's the Italian Grand Prix. It's Monza. As with the British Grand Prix, this is another event that has been on the calendar since Formula One became official in 1950. Monza itself has been a racetrack since 1922. It's always been a high-speed track and unfortunately has had several serious accidents in its time, so it's seen modification, modifications over the years to try and temper the speed, most notably the removal of a banked section in the 60s. The present layout is pretty simple, second only to Austria for circuits with the least number of corners, but as I, as I said, it makes up for that with speed. This is one of the fastest circuits on the calendar, topping out at around 210 miles an hour on the long pit straight. High speeds, slipstreaming, chicanes, Monza is a recipe for overtaking or for wings getting chopped off. Let's hope Kimi Raikkonen and Max Verstappen don't find themselves aiming for the same bit of tarmac again this weekend. There seems to be uncertainty over Monza's inclusion in F1 going ahead, with the Italian Grand Prix maybe switching to Imola. Silverstone, Spa, Suzuka, there are certain circuits that feel like they should automatically be part of the F1 calendar. Monza is definitely part of that list, and let's hope we are still back here next year. The 10-year podium shows Hamilton in third, Vettel in second, and Vettel actually became the youngest winner of a Grand Prix here in 2008 when he won in bad weather conditions for Toro Rosso, before that record was beaten by Verstappen this year. Uh, and the top driver of the last 10 years is Fernando Alonso. So, can the McLaren driver continue the good progress he made from the back of the grid in Belgium? And will Lewis Hamilton's early Christmas present last week of new engines allow him to extend his lead over Rosberg? Let's find out with Andrew and Sean. And I must admit, Sean, I feel a little bit <laughs> like we should... Well, we, we constantly say things like, oh, Bahrain, rubbish, Russia... Rubbish. All these new tracks. Rubbish. But <laughs> it has to be said that just because it's a classic track doesn't always necessarily make it a classic race. Yep. I mean, that is true. Oldest one in the book, pretty much. There's not many tracks older than Monza. Uh, I think it's something like the third oldest ra uh, permanent racetrack of all time, I think. And yeah, like you say, just because it's a classic doesn't make it good. This wasn't uh, This wasn't great, was it? Where, where, where did we start? 
suppose qualifying. Well, even that was pretty dull. Two really. by two by two, wasn't it? First uh, give or take, I think. And, lockout um, for the Mercedes, followed by the Ferraris, followed by the Red Bulls, as as you would have expected. Would you say? Uh, yes, I think we all calmly predicted that uh, in the short amount of time between between races that. Whilst uh, Spa maybe slightly surprisingly suited Red Bull, but that has that little twisty infield section where <clears throat> you can at least put better better aerodynamics to work. There's nowhere in Monza that the, how many corners are there? Is it like eight, six, something ridiculous? Nine? I don't know. There's nowhere to really gain any advantage of having a good aero package, particularly in Monza. So the fact that Ferrari also apparently came in with a few engine upgrades. It's probably less than surprising to find them ahead of the Red Bulls, but uh, still depressingly far away from giving the Mercedes anything like a, an actual battle on track. Not even, not even close, really, was it? Never in doubt for for the Silver Arrows, and uh, particularly in qualifying, Lewis looking uh, looking pretty hot. Seemed to have the better of uh, of Nico. All, all weekend, through really. all through FP one, two, and three, and in quality, I think Nico ended up. Four tenths down in qualifying, I think ultimately. So you have to say that on pure single lap pace, Lewis had the uh, the absolute the absolute doing on him uh, on this weekend. However, as we're seeing in the race, doesn't always work out that way when it comes to Sunday afternoon, does it now? No, yet more uh, bad starts for the Mercedes new clutch system. Uh... They haven't seemed to have been able to dial in that right, right. Uh, you know, I think both drivers have, have suffered at least two um, poor starts based on the on the clutch, um, simply not giving them the um, the bite that they needed, and have, have watched Ferraris and Red Bulls and uh, the occasional Williams zip by them into the first corner. Um, and Lewis really, it was a really bad start actually, wasn't it this time? Um, Usually they might lose a couple of places, but he was down to sixth off of after the the first corner after kind of getting well, so, nudged around a little bit, I think, by uh, cars with a little less a little less to lose than he does. It was properly properly bad start, you know. Like there was, he was even behind the Williams, wasn't he, at one stage of Bottas, I think. So that shows how, yep. how far back that he's gotten. <laughs> <laughs> um, Poor Williams. And uh, contrary to his teammate, Nico, perfect getaway, leads into the first corner, and uh, that that was all she wrote, wasn't it? I don't think he's seen another car for the rest of the day. Just uh, able to do the, what, what, what I'll call the Sebastian Vettel, of just managing the gap up front, running the perfect strategy, pacing the fuel, pacing the engine, all of this, and, and, and when you're in clean air, it's so easy to do that, and and Vettel made uh, made four world championships out of doing that in the Red Bull, and, and Nico did it to the, to the, to perfection here. Um, so yeah, he never seen a he never never seen another another driver for the whole race, which uh, as a spectacle, as a, as a fan, didn't make for the most entertaining Grand Prix. As a fan of Nico Rosberg, I'm I'm delighted he won, but as a Formula One fan, it was uh, pretty dull, I would say. Yeah, just it's exactly the same when it's the other way around, isn't it? When Lewis scampers off into the distance and Nico's had bad starts, you just have an understanding that you know exactly where first place is. Occasionally, second place isn't theirs, but generally, 
Do you know what I mean? You know the Mercedes has got enough pace to get past anything that it needs to to get back into the race. Well, well, that's what I was going. That's what I would move on to say next is that the the most exciting bit of the race was the first sort of twenty laps where it was like, okay, so Lewis is down in six. What can he do from here? Like, is this is it going to be a breeze from that? That was interesting. I'm having to battle his way back, but as soon as the sort of made his first stop and it was pretty clear. Ferrari went in and did the the two stop strategy, and it was I mean it was pretty evident right away that that Lewis was just going to be able to without pushing himself too hard, he was always going to have the Ferraris covered off fairly straightforwardly. So so that was maybe about something like twenty laps in that 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 realization seemed to seemed to sink in, and from there on in there was an, there was the odd good battle down the field, but it was. Uh, Pretty dull, and the commentators and the pundits trying to say, you know, oh, can he? Is he going to be able to challenge Rosberg from here? And it's like, well, no. Let's be honest. They've got equal machinery. They're both relatively equal pace. He's not going to be able to get anywhere near Nico. It's a recovery job to second, and they'll they'll have to accept that. You know, it was there was never ever going to be any battle between Nico and Lewis from the point when Lewis had the bad start. It was just it wasn't going to be done. The second Nico got five, six, seven seconds down the road, that was it. Because as we see so often with those Mercedes is they don't you know, they they they're literally the exact same machine. So you're not able to claw back seconds out per lap out into each other. It's just not going to happen. No, no, the only time you see the time difference is is when one driver is pushing and the other one is saving you know, saving the tires, saving fuel and all the other bits and pieces. Uh, and that's how it played out. As soon as Lewis was in second, the gap stabilised between somewhere between sort of nine and twelve seconds, depending on what yep. Nico decided he was going to do. And if he needed to pump in a couple of quick laps just to um, put the gap back up, then that's what he did. Um, which must have been massively frustrating from Lewis's point of view, looking down at his dash and maybe you know he when he got past and he started to make inroads and he got it down to like eight or nine seconds, I guess he must've looked at it and thought, well, I wonder, I wonder if Nico's just saving too hard. I wonder if I can make up enough time, but then, you know, Nico was able to put four seconds back on again. And at that point, his heart must've been just like, well, this is, this is it. All we got to do is just make sure we stay ahead of the Ferraris, which as it turned out, was a very easy job, sadly for all you Ferrari <laughs> fans out there. I'm yeah. sure <laughs> there was a little flutter in my heart when they came in and they put the super softs on and they went for the aggressive two-stop strategy and I was just like, you know what, maybe, just maybe we haven't seen in quality the best of them. Maybe just in the race they'll be able to do something with this two-stop strategy and make it work. And um, sadly, as it turns out, no, they couldn't do anything with it. All it really did was put them farther ahead of the Red Bulls. Um which I suppose must be fairly pleasing, I guess, but it's not um, unlike in Spa, where the differentials between the car and qualifying was very small, um, and then in the race it turned out that Red Bull seemed to have the better race package. Ferrari had this in the bag over Red Bull from free practice onwards, really. Red Bull popped in a couple of nice laps here and there, but it was quite clear that they weren't going to be able to sustain that throughout the race. It was just no... No way, and, and that's how it unfolded, really. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the thing with Ferrari here is they made a bit, you know, oh, it's good to get a podium in Monza and all that kind of thing, but, you know, they need to be challenging, you know. How long has it been since they've been properly challenged at the front? It's, if any, if, if, if ever that was 
sort of driven home. It was it was here because because of its Monza, because it's their home Grand Prix, and you see the support that they have. Need I mean I say I've been sound like a broken record, but twenty seventeen they need to have a challenging car. Just it's not good enough. Anything other than uh, being able to challenge for race victories isn't isn't good enough for a team of that resources and in that history. It's simple as that. So. Good result for Seb to get on the podium. He uh, went through five or six races there without getting a podium, one of the longest spells of his career without standing on the podium. So it was a good result, bit of back to form, but it's not what we want. We want to see them being able to properly challenge. Uh, yes. You know, even as a McLaren fan, I'm I, I'm longing just to see teams up, up the sharp end of the grid really battling it. it it's It's nice that there are um there is this bit of a duel going on between Ferrari and Red Bull but it's for second place in the championship or and third place in the driver standings and you're just kind of like well it's just not it's not really interesting enough i'm afraid it 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 needs to it needs to be at the very very sharp end we need to you know it doesn't have to be um was it 20 2012 when we had eight eight different winners from the first, like or seven different winners from the first eight races or whatever ridiculous things it was, it doesn't have to be like that. We don't have to have you know several teams, um, all vying for uh, the top spot. But just you know, two or three is absolutely fine. Just to see two or three. I mean, look teams. at the look at the what I would consider the glory days of the nineties, where you had Williams, McLaren, and Ferrari towards the back end of the 90s, early 2000s, before Schumacher went on to truly dominate. The, the three teams, all capable of winning Formula One races on any given day, and, and that's all, that's what you want. Like you say, we're not asking for, for seven or eight teams. Just if, if, this, you know, if Ferrari, Mercedes and Red Bull, and I know you'll want McLaren as well, but I, I, you know, if they could all turn up with a car capable of at least, at least challenging, then... And, and, and if you think about those times, that that also included a time when a, a the odd Toyota and BMW Sauber would pop up and you know snatch a pole or get the odd race win, or even the times when Force India were coming through and popping up with the odd you know the odd result. <clears throat> and it just made it just that little bit more interesting. There, you know, there was a um, a chance that another team might do something if they tried hard enough. And it doesn't feel like there's any point in trying to try harder than Mercedes because they've got this down pat. Two two seasons of uh, of absolute dominance. And if anything, this season, if it wasn't for the... I think the problem, uh, problem is I almost feel like they're faster this season, but they've had worse reliability. So I don't know whether they're just eking out the edge of the technological bleed and that's causing the unreliability, but their speed has not gone down, which means that they're faster than they have been the last two years. So make of that what you will, that however good you thought the um, 2014 and 2015 cars, the 2016 car is faster than a lot of them. And are you surprised by that, though? Because, you know... Well, I just wonder how... Everybody's got to... They're going to be constantly improving at all all times, you know? I think it surprises me that there was that much left in the car. You you would kind of assume that you know they'd come in at 2014 with all the amount of prep that they put into that they'd be ahead and nobody could begrudge them that, but you'd have might might have hoped that after 
maybe not two seasons, but certainly the third season, the other teams would have easily caught up with whatever Mercedes have got and developed a car that is much closer to them and that Mercedes wouldn't have that much room to go. But what it seems to say is, um, you know, Mercedes developed a really good car, but there was actually tons of stuff that they didn't even have time to develop in the three years they were preparing that car for its for the regulation changes or however long they, they took to do that. So it's just kind of like, that's what amazes me is that um, that three to five to seven tenths, depending on, you know, on the track that they seem to have over the teams, just hasn't really gone away. It's it, it stayed the same. So I think that, you know, you have to be massively impressed by the Mercedes machine uh, as a team to be able to develop a car like that because um, it's, I think it's actually rare that you see a car survive um, kind of that long without seriously being challenged. And I know we had the four years of the Red Bull, but the, the regulations at that point were all kind of weird. There was no there was no engineering edge to that. It was all aero. Um, and Red Bull had the best aero guys. That, that's kind of different, I think, in a in a way. Mercedes have done a mechanical thing here. It's not about... They probably don't have the out-and-out best chassis on the grid. It's probably still the Red Bull, judging by their pace at Spa. Um, but the whole combination of that car is just streets ahead of everything else, which is... Just you know, as a fan from another of another team, it's just depressing because it just means that you just know that it's not going to be touchable. If you're a Mercedes fan, it's great, or if you're a fan of Nico Rosberg or you're a fan of Lewis Hamilton, it's great because you know you're going to see your drivers do well. And it must be very difficult to hear people say, "Well, F1's really dull, and it's really boring that the Mercedes win all the time, or it's really dull that Lewis wins all the time, or it's really dull that Nico wins all the time." And like, yeah, it it is that. I'm afraid you just have to understand that. In in any sport, when one team wins and do, and and really dominates like this, like like when Ferrari really dominated back um, in the sort of early two thousands, um, it is dull if you're not a, a fan of that. And the majority of fans are not the fans of the one team that's doing well. Even when Ferrari were doing well, it's not like all of Formula One rallied around and said, "Well, it's good that eighty percent of our fans who are Ferrari fans are happy, and the twenty percent who lump themselves between Williams and McLaren and and all the other teams, um, you know, can lump it." Uh, people were massively bored then, and people got really annoyed when Red Bull did it, and and they're just going to get annoyed now. And I think if you can't understand that, then so do you think this Mercedes is more dominant in terms of overall package than, than what Seb was in the Red Bull? Yeah, I think it is. Red Bull, about... had, Red Bull had two years out of four where they probably had a, a streets-ahead car. Um, but two out of the, those years, they were pushed massively close um, yeah, by with that. Alonso in the in the Ferrari. Um uh, and the McLarens as well in um, in the first season, um, it really um, it really wasn't a cakewalk, and I, I hate to say that because it makes it seem like I'm being dismissive of Mercedes, and I'm not being dismissive of Mercedes or what they've done because, like I say, it's a technological marvel that they've created, but they have walked it quite easily from the first time that they turned up in 2013 pretty much all the way through now the only times where it's really caught them out has been weather 
accidents uh, or the odd bit of mechanical failure and there hasn't even been that much mechanical failure yep i think that's that's fair what about then uh, the ferrari of the early 2000s more or, or less dominant than that uh probably less dominant i think because ferrari turned up at the end of one season to the start of the next and didn't do anything to the car and it was still ahead of everything that everybody had done over the summer break. <laughs> and Mercedes, uh, you know, uh, quite self-admittedly, and you can see through all the updates that they're continually bringing to that car, haven't been able to do that. I think if they had, yeah. if they'd have rested on the laurels or that there hadn't been the stuff to find, I think you would have found that Red Bull and Ferrari would have been closer this season. I think they would have made up the difference that they had in 2013. Uh, no, 2013, sorry, uh, 2014. I think they'd have made it up in the two seasons, but... Mercedes have just been able to keep on going and going and going. Do you know what I mean? They've um, they've done that sort of Mike Tyson thing where you just sit there and you think, it's like literally nobody can beat them. Do you know what I mean? It's that they're just... Yep. Well, I mean, I'm looking at the results for this season. Winning constructor of 13 of 14 rounds, Mercedes. The <laughs> one time that they didn't win, what happened? It's because they, they crashed, they into, crashed each into each, each other. other. In the first <laughs> corner. In and both of them ended up in the gravel. And there were positions one and two at the time and would have would have won the race, almost certainly. So that's the only time that they haven't won a Grand Prix this season. I think Scott was saying on and, the mid-season... And, and I think the point is... Sorry, carry on. I was just going to say, and I, uh, just to kind of clar- um, qu- you know, quantify that as well, I think Scott was saying on the mid-season podcast that um, they've actually scored more points than they had at the, at the same point last year. They'd actually got yeah. more, even with a, with a double-card DNF. I can believe that, and not only that, it's not that they they've won every single race. It's that they've there's no at no point have they looked like not winning any of those races other than the one where they crashed into each other. <laughs> well, and there's even then, no they were they point, were massively far ahead up until that point. There's no point that there was even like oh. The Ferraris are quite quick here. They might put pressure on them, or the Red Bulls are quick here. They might put pressure on them here. The, like last season, Vettel won three Grand Prix last season. You know, remember Malaysia when the Ferraris mm. just out. You know, they, they they turned up and they were competitive on on pure pace. And Singapore, there's been none of that this year, not even close. So, I, <laughs> I don't know what to say. That's no. <laughs> what it is, but. No, no, I think you're, uh, I think there isn't much to say. I think that that covers pretty well, much everything. Um, positive, and it's it's a pretty grim positive is that nothing is uh, nothing is permanent in this game, and and it it, it won't last. Twenty seventeen certainly is going to be such a such a swerve to the to the regulations that that that, that who knows what could happen. But it, it just feels a little bit like. It's never ending dominance at the moment. Indeed. Um, going back to the team who many accused of a never ending do- dominance, or at least it seemed that way at the time. Uh, Red Bull, as we said, third best team uh, here this weekend. Um, probably quicker than the Williams, all in all. Um, although they gave them a um, a few problems. Um, I mean, the Williams is obviously pretty decent down that straight, even though they're they're going backwards as a team by the looks of things most of the time this season. They've still ultimately got a very good donkey in the back of that car and Monza was always going to suit them. So they put um, 
put a bit of pressure on Danny Rick there, but he managed to get the job done with, uh, shall we mention, his overtaker manoeuvre. Wow, yeah. Um, <laughs> wow, la- wow. Last of the late late breakers into um, into the... Uh, it was into the shit game, wasn't it? I'm not it was into turn one. Was it? Turn one, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, just, so, yeah. I just remember it sort of happening and thinking... Oh, I can't really believe he's gone. That we're going to have a massive accident, and the fact that yeah, he kept he... it under control and Bottas was smart enough to keep out of the way—an uh, amazing move all around, really. Agreed. Sadly, <laughs> one of too few, really. Um... I mean, that was probably the most interesting sort of battle on the on the track because. Once it became pretty clear that obviously that, that that positions one, two, three, and four they were pretty much a lock from about halfway uh, onwards. The only the fifth and sixth battle became about the only interesting thing because Valtteri stayed out. No, sorry, Valtteri pitted on the two stop strategy, and, and and they both did the two stop strategy. But Danny Rick went way longer on his uh, on his middle stint and um, basically lost track position uh came out though with you know 10 lap fresher tires and uh and had to do it on track and obviously that's where he made the, the sensational pass to do so but at least we had something to cling to as uh as the race sort of concluded that was a bit interesting on in terms of an on-track battle uh it, it was good stuff like you say i agree with you i think the red bull probably just overall the, the quicker package here but um the Williams is formidable in the straight line, so it wasn't easy for for Danny to be able to to do that move up into turn one because that you know even when Lewis was behind Bottas, the the Williams was able to 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 compete on the on the straight with with anybody. So for for a Red Bull, which has probably got the the third strongest engine in the back, just goes to show how good uh, how good Danny's move was. I think. No, absolutely. Um, fairly average race from Verstappen. Another person quite out with a bad start. Um, and didn't seem to be able to um, really work his way back through in a um, in a way to get back towards where his teammate was um, after quali- after beating him in qualifying as well. Yeah, but no, bad start for Verstappen. I think where he ended up ultimately was as best as he could have got after tur- after you know going in. I think he went into turn one at something like eleventh or twelfth position. So to get it back to seventh, that's probably about as good as he could could have hoped for there. Do you think he? Uh, amended his style this weekend. Did I, you see I, anything from well, him? Well, I, I think the thing is, is that in reality, he wasn't called to do any defensive work, really. So True. he uh, was doing the passing. He was passing weaker cars than him, I suppose. So, yes, yeah. a good point. Uh, he made a couple of nice moves. I, I'll certainly certainly say that a couple of his overtakes were uh, were nice and crisp and looked looked pretty good. But then we we've said that about most of his overtakes generally. Really, it's. Um, yeah, that true. doesn't really it's not really where we're finding fault at the moment mm-hmm. uh, so yeah so Verstappen in 7th with you know with Bottas sandwiched in between kind of making the most of his, his weekend um, Sergio Perez in 8th not the weekend I think Force India were hoping I, I had to, had the feeling that they maybe thought that you know at Spa the pace that they had would be able to be translated here but are we almost saying that actually the um, <laughs> the Force India is actually um, aerodynamically uh, more uh, or has more aerodynamic qualities than we we've previously given 
given them credit for and that was... they weren't really be able they weren't able to tune it down for Monza um after their heroics at Spa. I was just about to say that. I think for so long we've been pigeonholing Force India as they've got the Mercedes engine, they'll be good in the streets, they'll be good at Monza's and etc. Those those circuits. Uh and I think we might have to start slowly coming around to the opinion that actually whilst they are quite good in the street lane, they're also just generally quite an all-round decent package. Um, they aren't a Williams, which is pure grunt, and they aren't a, you know, a, a, I'm not going to say Red Bull because obviously that, that Renault engine's getting better, but you know what I mean? They're not a pure aero team either. That's a McLaren of sort of the last season or two, so to speak. Yep. They managed to find a little sort of niche in the middle there, where they're just a they're just a solid hand, and they're they're going to be pretty okay wherever they go. They will be disappointed this weekend, I think, to have been outscored by the Williamses. I mean, I think if they'd get if he said at the start of the weekend, well, the Ferraris, the Ribbles, and the Mercs, they're, they're probably going to finish ahead here. They'd say, okay, that's fair enough. But they'll be disappointed, I think, that they didn't pose more of a chat to the um to the Williamses. I mean, Bottas in sixth, Massa in ninth. Versus Perez in eighth, Hulkenberg in tenth, so they've lost points all around there to the Williams team. So they'll be they'll be a little bit disappointed with that, given how close they're fighting in the constructors. I think they would have thought they could have uh, could have done a little bit more there. Uh, speaking of um, ninth place, bye bye Felipe, baby. I mean, yeah, the writing was on the wall, wasn't it, for a while now. We've, uh, I don't think either of us are particularly surprised. We've both been predicting who's going to be going into that Williams seat uh, for a good several months now. But it's nice to have it confirmed. It's nice to give Felipe his uh, send-off towards the end of the season now. He'll, he'll get he'll, he'll, he'll a popular lad, Felipe Massa, in the paddock and things, so I'm sure he'll have a nice send-off. And, uh, yeah... I, one that got away in terms of uh, a world champion, never quite, never quite had enough. Two thousand and eight was as close as it was uh, going to come for him, but he can be happy with his career. Uh, he's had the the David Coulthard career, hasn't he? Pretty much. Yes, he he had his shot, and then um, sadly, it never really returned um, for him. Uh, and that's the lot of a lot of drivers, and a lot of the drivers would have been happy to have had exactly. Coulthard or Massa's career compared to what the average, you know, of course, yeah, Formula One driver, I mean, which is probably <laughs> driving around hoping to score points and wondering if one day you might get uh, a podium in a, you know, a sort of um, Ligier Monaco '96 kind of way that you'd hope that you know maybe maybe if enough cars don't finish, <laughs> I can I can get up there. <laughs> I mean, not everybody can be a world champion it's, uh, at the end of the day, and, and Massa's done everything but, Coulthard did everything but, Rubens Barrichello did everything but, there's no no shame in that, won plenty of Grand Prix, plenty of podiums, uh, Massa can be happy, and he can uh, swan off now into the sunset with his millions in his back pocket and go uh, go race go-karts around into Lagos or whatever it is he feels like doing, uh, he, can be, he can be happy with his career. Plus, he will always probably be remembered, uh, at least... For the fact that he was probably the only guy who finished a race as world champion, uh, only to uh, lose it thirty seconds later. <laughs> well, um, two thousand and eight still stings, man. Don't <laughs> don't bring it up. Oh, I remember uh, I was jumping for joy and then seeing Timo Glock 
going round that final bend down to Lagos and Lewis cruising past them. I just Never. remember the Ferrari mechanic who headbutted the wall. You know, there's the famous shot of the of the masses celebrating, and then one of the mechanics comes in and says, "No, no, no," because Lewis is overtaking Glock and is going to finish in seventh. If you watch that clip further on, literally about 20 seconds once they start all heading away from the camera, that same engineer wanders over to one of the side panels of the motor of the uh, garage and literally headbutts it as hard as he possibly can. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Emotion, uh, will, emotion will do weird things to men. <laughs> certainly will. Headbutt a wall is definitely uh, different. Uh, I, I was such a high. I was literally jumping up and down cheering and then... 30 seconds later on the floor and tears my nose. <laughs> it was almost completely the opposite for me. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going, oh, that's a bit of a shame. Um, I wasn't, I probably wasn't quite as upset because I, I, I quite liked Felipe. So um, it, it wasn't, I wasn't drastically upset that he'd won. Um, I just wished that the McLaren had won. Um, so when, when it all changed around and the look on everybody's faces, I must admit I felt a bit like, oh, wow, that's that's really harsh. That, that, the, there will probably never be a bigger swing of emotions for a Formula One driver than than Felipe Massa on his cool down lap. Um, his home Grand Prix as well, man. Yeah, having <laughs> having to go out on the top step, but not the champion. Nah, spring back painful memories. <laughs> All right, well, well, we'll skip Tenth place, Nico Hulkenberg. Yeah. Um, That's with Perez, you have to say. Just a bit of an opportunity lost there not to, to capitalise on a good spa race, you know. Did Hulkenberg have a, a poorish start? I can't remember, because I thought he... Didn't he qualify ahead of Perez this time? I can't uh, remember. I can't remember exactly. He... Um, that might well have been the case. Uh, not, not 100% sure. Um Eleventh uh, place, uh, Roman Grosjean in the Hascar, the leading Hascar, uh, as it turned out in the end, which was a massive surprise, given what Gutierrez managed to do in qualifying was nothing short of a miracle, getting it into sixth place in Q two. Um, yeah, I mean, say what you like about you know we've been criticizing of uh, Gutierrez a, f- a few times, but he's definitely coming into his own. Roman in, in 11th, uh, I think the um, I think the Haas might finish in 11th every single race for the rest of the season. That just seems to be... <laughs> it's a bit like Toro Rosso last at, season, wasn't yeah, it? That was kind of... sort of where they're at just now, isn't it? You know, you've got... They're sort of better than the Renaults and the Manners and this, definitely the Saubers, but they're not quite as good as the, the Force Indias and the Williamses and depending on the track... The McLarens could be completely hot or completely cold. So, well, I think yeah. you, if you, even if you look at it this this race, you you've got to say that you know, um, Button was able to to claw back to nearly be able to overtake him in the last couple of laps after being literally ran off track and being dead last. Um, it, it probably wasn't even really um, all their own work in. In getting that eleventh um, place, um, which I think is, you know, it, it tells them where they are. They, I, I think they, they have brought some aero parts, didn't they? They brought a, uh, people were calling it the Mario Mustache double waved uh, rear wing, um, which seems to have worked. 
and it's always nice to see a small team like that bring something innovative and it turn up and it not make the car <laughs> worse, um, which was kind of the lot of Force India a couple of seasons ago, wasn't it? They always said, yes, we are bringing a, a new rear wing for this race and they put it on and <laughs> it'd be worse than they were the last race. They'd be like, right, we're not bringing that rear wing ever again. <laughs> Consign it to the bin. Um, so that, that's that's good that's good news that the new team is able to do the development side of stuff and uh, and bring new stuff in season to to keep them keep them relevant. So that that gives me hope that they won't hopefully drop off too much next year and they'll still be able to to challenge in the in that sort of end of the midfield role that they seem to be filling now, which I is hope so. which I, I I think is is fair. Do you know what I mean? Give them a couple more seasons and then see what they can do, and then then maybe they can start expecting points on a regular basis, but. You know, for now, <clears throat> if they were coming 11th and 12th and picking up the odd point here and there, I think they've got to be very satisfied with that. I agree, and I I, I do hope they do well because I, I like Roman a lot. And, uh, yeah, I guess it looks like they're going to confirm him eminently, if not they've not already done so, as the, as the lead driver for next season, which is pretty much to be expected. There's not really anywhere for Roman to go. He can continue to try and build something at Haas there and, and take that team to the next level. He's the right man for the job. So wish them all the best. I'd like to see Roman Grosjean uh, do well there. It'd be nice to for him to sort of say he took that team from the, the absolute, you know, basically from the day it was born and, and took it somewhere, you know. so Yeah, it would definitely be a legacy, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Uh, 12th place was uh, Button, who uh, on the day that he also announced that he wouldn't be driving next year, um, although he's staying in and around the sport as a ambassador slash reserve driver for McLaren, um, <clears throat> after getting very rudely shunted off the road uh, by somebody in the first corner and having to um, go over the gravel and grass and stuff and come back on in, in dead last, um, seemed to have quite a lot of fun getting his car up to... Uh, 12th place, which you probably wouldn't have thought a, a McLaren at Monza would be having um, too much fun. Um, certainly his teammate didn't seem to be having anywhere near as much fun. Um, but obviously <laughs> obviously, Button had switched to a kind of different strategy by that point, and uh, in the end it seemed like that was the better strategy to be on if you weren't uh, already in the top 10. Uh, so, uh, there you go. But it was uh, it was good to see they got a lot of um, camera time, which again, probably shows you how little overtaking there was on the rest of the track because we followed Button uh, on his way past the sort of Toro Rossos and Salvas and Renaults um, as he made his way back through, uh, which he did very well and very skillfully. A couple of really nice overtaking moves just to just to remind everybody that um, there's there's life in the old dog yet. Um, so that was that was pleasing to see. Um, not so much for <laughs> poor old Fernando in fourteenth. Who's uh, kind of taking over the mantle of Kimi Nike, Kimi Raikkonen for? I was going to say, did, did I hear radio swear on the radio again uh, this weekend? I think I did. I seem to recall uh, the bleep machine was in use at one point. I think uh, it, it was. It was Fernando's hollow laugh at being told that. Um, That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Grosjean might slip back because he was on very old tyres. <laughs> drive on and and then pull in the pits with three laps to go to put on some super soft tyres so you can get fastest lap which I thought fair play because do you know what I mean it, it can't have been um, all that fun to have, have sat there having qualified uh, pretty decently um, and only to find that you know you ran out of tyres during the race probably because you pushed a little bit too hard 
Um, but he got um, Honda's is it Honda's first fastest lap for twenty four years. Is that right? Is yeah, yeah. twenty four years since the last uh, the last Honda. Uh, was it McLaren Honda fastest lap? I can't, I can't remember. It's twenty years since something, and the last one was like um, Prost or Senna at Estoril, which really shows you how long ago it was. Um, <clears throat> if you if you're young enough to remember the uh, Portugal track, um, oh, I suppose it wasn't that long ago they took it off the, the circuit, but it feels like it anyway. Ninety seven, I think. So. Yeah, the best part of 20 years. <laughs> See, that's the weirdest bit. I was thinking, oh, maybe it's not all that long ago. But that's the problem with 20 years, is it suddenly starts feeling not that long ago. Uh... <laughs> yeah, like, the, the late 90s is 20 years now, man. Like, we're getting old. <laughs> um, Carlos signs uh, in 15th in the Toro Rosso. Oh, it's going to be a painful end of the season for um, for that team. Um the car is just it, it's going nowhere and, and i don't think whatever they bring to it is gonna see the benefits because of the engine that's in the back of it yeah i mean absolutely did you see science's um dreadwalk with martin brundle pretty much said its own story um brundle was like oh yeah what can you do this weekend and uh just his face was just like oh, nothing basically yeah. <laughs> they got no chance with that with that engine and just they're trying you know they're a team that's not particularly super with aero, but at the same time have no speed. So what are you going to do, really? <laughs> yeah, shame for Science because obviously as we we praise him a lot, and he's got loads of ability, but he isn't he isn't going to get to show it the end of the season, I don't think. And they'll be hoping for a much better package in uh, in twenty seventeen. I think. Not quite sure what engine they'll be running though. Do you know, I'm guessing it it'll be back to the uh, Renault. I'm assuming it'll be whatever the um, daddy team brings, and I, I'm assuming they'll stick with the Renault. So I, I'm guessing whatever is, whether it's the tag branded one, or whether it's the Renault Renault uh, Renault Renault. Um, I, I assume that's what'll be in the back of it. They're not. Uh, they're not going to get. Then I don't think that they can afford to go for. Um, another year old Ferrari. In fact, I don't even think Ferrari can, can they? They can't give them last year's engine now. I think it has to be that season spec, doesn't it? Uh, that that that's the that's that was my understanding. I think they changed that rule, didn't they, that all customers must have this the same as the lead team, is that right? I, I, that's I, what I that thought. About, yeah, so. Unless there is a, you know, some rule in there that says but you can supply them, you know, if you supply them this year's engine, it must be the best this year's engine, but you can give them last year's dog if you really, <laughs> if they're really desperate enough, maybe. Um, yeah, there's not much else you can say about Toro Rosso. If we see them on camera, um, it's likely to be being passed by other cars. Uh, and that's, I think, pretty much all they'll have to get used to. Um, same as Marcus Ericsson in the Sauber, who at least this time um, managed to finish a race. Hasn't done that for a little while um, after buying the team, essentially. Um, it's not him, but his back is buying the team. Uh, but we didn't see him. He didn't do anything. Uh, managed to finish ahead of Magnussen in the Renault and Ocon in the Manor, um, which I guess is good, but it really doesn't do anything. To, did, did Magnussen have some kind of 
clash at the start as well. So I don't know if he was driving the best car, and it's and he's also driving against uh, a rookie two two races into his career. So <laughs> what can you say about that, really? Uh, nothing actually, isn't it? That's 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 really all um, you can say about Sauber. Uh, if you can see my face, <laughs> it's just <laughs> exasperation. <sighs> yeah, I used to like Sauber. I used to have such a little soft spot for them when they had Massa and Kimi, and they were a little Ferrari junior team. You know, they took they took on some young talent and gave it their first opportunities, and that. And now it's like, now what? You know, like now we put four drivers in two seats. Which, on a side note, if you aren't already following Guido van der Gaard on Twitter, you <laughs> must do so now. That man is savage, absolutely savage. His uh, his latest idea was that for the last 10, 10 laps, they replace Kevin Magnussen with Pastor Maldonado just to see what happens. <laughs> I, I'm down for that. I don't know about you. Or whoever's in last place <laughs> loses the last 10 laps of their race to Pastor Maldonado, who gets to come out on track with fresh fresh set of boots <laughs> and and isn't isn't allowed to be blue flagged. He'd be like he'd be like the F1 equivalent of the blue shell from Mario Kart, wouldn't he? Really. <laughs> aye. aye, that's quality. <laughs> uh, I caught one of his retweets uh, over the weekend. Uh, does he does look like a good account to follow? I don't think I've, uh, I don't think I'm following just now. So that's uh, that's a must to do. <laughs> um, Magnus City in seventeenth for Renault. Um, another bad weekend for Renault. Sadly, we probably all knew that that these two weekends were likely to not be good. Might have a bit better luck in the next race, a lot less engine dependent, though it's a lot, a lot more chassis dependent, and that doesn't appear to be somewhere where they're particularly proficient either this season. So I, I guess it probably could be more of the same, maybe, but in it for a different reason. Um, still, at least he finished, which was sadly more than his teammate was allowed to do. Um, uh, and then Ocon finishing up in 18th for for Mana. Um, didn't see anything of him, so I can't really judge his race. How no, he, I never did, to be honest. Uh, retirements were um, Felipe Nazza in the Sauber, sort of. Um, pulled into the pits after the first lap collision uh, with Palmer. Um, hung about for a bit. Found out that they had a uh, 10 second uh, lap penalty uh, sent him out brought him back in for a pit stop served the 10 seconds sent him out for another lap and then retired now <laughs> did you see Palmer's interview yeah I was just like and I was completely with him because what they'd done is they just chucked out a punishment there that the team wasn't going to suffer from If they, whether they took the 10 seconds and they had retired or they did what they did, which was serve the 10 seconds so that it couldn't retroactively be looked at and said, well, you couldn't serve the 10 seconds, therefore we're, we're going to give you a five-place kid drop at the, the thing. They should have just said that that one was pro- kind of like it. They, they kind of needed to hold off and just see whether the the um, Sauber was coming out again. And if it wasn't, then they said, this will, you know, we will look, look at this after the race, even if they'd kind of made up their mind that it was his fault. And then they could have applied the punishment that would have would have fit, which I think, in reality, it was such a clumsy, silly move 
um, from Nazar. He just needed to have given up what was already lost and instead decided that he'd just lock wheels with Jolian Palmer. Um, uh, he is capable of that. He's a, capable of some very good driving, but I think at the moment he's in a car that can't show him it, so he's just taking far too many risks to try and make something happen. Um, and unfortunately, what that did was ruin Jolian Palmer's race. Um, Julian Palmer as well, you know, he's a man under severe pressure himself, so to to, to be taken out like that is uh, isn't great, is it? You know, he's, he's he's battling for his seat every week. We're talking about who's going to go in that Renault, you know, everybody in their grand mentioned in that Renault apart from Julian Palmer for twenty for twenty seventeen, and something like this happens, it must be uh, enormously frustrating for him. But that's Formula One, isn't it? At the end of the day, you know. It's just it's, it's it's motorsport. Sometimes it it doesn't go your way. It just seems to be that he's kind of been on the back end of the bad luck a little bit more often than not this season for for poor for poor Julian. Um, Pascal Valen, um pulled over in the manor. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Does Pascal Valen have some kind of hearing problem? Because yeah. all I heard on the radio was. Pull over and stop the car now, Pascal. <laughs> Pascal, pull over the car and stop. Stop the car now, Pascal. Pull over and stop the car. Shall I pull over very... and pull, stop the car? Yes, pull over and stop the car now. <laughs> it was it was it was one of the more bizarre radio messages. And we do get a few bizarre ones. And uh, yeah, it was it was like it was about to explode there and then. And it was <laughs> yeah. like get out the get out of the car now. Hurry up. Like it was just I don't know. It was so strange. Uh, we, and he did. He parked it. You know, he got out, and everything was fine. Nobody, nobody exploded or anything. <laughs> I don't. They must. I mean, the logical explanation is they must have seen something on the telemetry that suggested that it needed to stop immediately, or it would all go ping. But uh, yeah, just it was. It was pretty funny. It was one of the more bizarre engineer radio calls that we'll see this year. That's what we need at the end of the season: the top ten radio messages of the season. <laughs> That's what to do. That's a that's a blog or a, a show waiting to happen right oh, there. Yeah. I don't know. At the moment, it's definitely a tie between um, Fernando Alonso's uh, wry laughter uh, this Grand Prix and Sebastian Vettel's uh, rant after he got hit by Kvyat. Yeah. Sebastian Vettel's <laughs> Danny Kvyat meltdown is definitely my favourite, probably. But I, I, I can't remember them all. And I just know that Raikkonen will have something in there that's gold that I've just forgotten about. Like There'll be one in there where it's just a nice nonchalant tone. Like, ah, come on. <laughs> He's so good. But yeah, that's definitely a, a feature for another day. <laughs> It's brilliant. Have you ever seen the YouTube channel, um, the Hydraulic Press channel? No, what's that? It's it's awesome. It's a guy who crushes things with a hydraulic press, um, but he's he's Finnish, um, and every time he presses something that explodes unexpectedly, he goes, "What the fuck?" And it's exactly the same way that Kimmy <laughs> says when he was being blocked by the staff. What the fuck? It's just like, oh yeah, it must be a Finnish thing then. <laughs> Um, oh dear finishing off our list of retirements um, for a man who um, must probably lock himself in his house uh, and get somebody to bring him food and, and a, a pot to pee in lest he do himself some kind of strange uh, accident at home because his luck is so terrible poor Danny Kvyat again uh, not finishing a race 
not looking particularly good in qualifying compared to his teammate. Um, oh, this poor, poor bloke. <laughs> there was one of the tweets, I think um, Grand Prix Diaries uh, tweeted this, that they, um, Rebel came out and said it would be unfair to <laughs> to uh, judge uh, Danny Kvyat's career uh, right now <laughs> it was a bit kind of like yeah it was a shame you didn't think about that when you shafted him four races into the season and I was just like wow that's that's actually massively true isn't it it's a very it's a bit late to start saying we care deeply about Danny Kvyat's career because like no uh, however uh, Pierre Gasly was uh, misquoted according to Pierre Gasly uh, that he was going to be popped into the Toro Rosso seat for Singapore uh, Gasly denies that that's what he said that he, he said he just um, was hoping to get into F1 as soon as possible um, <laughs> and not that he meant the next race he just meant sooner rather than later uh, uh, and that if if they were thinking of swapping him out then he would take that over finishing his GP2 season which probably if you translate it in the right way makes it sound like what he's saying is yes I'm not finishing my GP2 career so I can come into Formula 1 instead of Danny Fiat. Probably when it all yeah. reads out of what he actually can, said was the other way around. I can believe he's been misquoted there. I'm prepared to give him the benefit of doubt because that does sound like the kind of thing that they could twist and turn a little bit. However, the best thing about that story was Helmut Marko's reaction. Did you see that? Helmut, there's an interview with Helmut Marko that just went, this is not true. And then there's a line after which goes, and I will be phoning him immediately to find out what he said. <laughs> <laughs> so I bet Gasly was pooing his pants at that point. He was just like, oh, just God, no. Dr. Marco comes up on the screen. Well, I, like, and I bet the worst thing was, is that when, he, when it first came up, I bet his heart was kind of like, oh, maybe I am getting a call up. Maybe that, <laughs> maybe this is all going to work out. Yeah, we need to have a little talk. <laughs> it was just classic Helmet Marco quote, like, and I will be phoning him immediately. <laughs> He he does have the touch of the James Bond villain about him, doesn't he? He does. I don't know. I still don't know what he does. I still don't know how he's in the position that he's in. Like what? What has he done for a career to get where he is? Does he just know Dietrich Mateusz and has nothing else to do? Like, uh, well, he's Austrian, isn't he? I think that <laughs> essentially comes down to it. And he was Jochen Rint's friend, so there you go. Like, what is his qualifications to um, to be the man that decides who drives the race? <laughs> Possibly that we couldn't get Nicky Lauda, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Although, given what Lauda sometimes comes out with, maybe they're probably better off having <laughs> the hate figure of... At least At least that's the thing. At least all the kind of negative attention almost always like attaches itself to Helmut Marko and kind of doesn't stick with the team. Do you know what I mean? He kind of gets blamed for absolutely all the things that people hate about what Red Bull does. So it's like, as a lightning rod, he must be quite useful, I guess, in that. Yeah, I've just looked him up and I'm possibly being a little bit harsh on Mr. Dr. Marco. And he is a doctor as well. Let's let's not suggest he's stupid or something. He won won the Le Mans 24 hour as, as an endurance driver. So possibly being a little bit harsh. I mean, that's no mean feat. Uh, and he competed in uh, various motorsports and apparently has 10 Formula One Grand Prix starts. He does. He, like so, I say, he got into F1 because he was good friends with Jochen Rint, yeah. uh, very famously very good uh, Formula One driver. He's, he's a real driver. <laughs> yes, the, the real one. So yeah, and possibly him, a little bit harsh. I think we've, got to, we've kind of got to suggest that maybe um, Helmut Marko to Jochen Rint is a bit like Brutus the Barber Beefcake to Hulk Hogan. Yes. 
That is fair. D- did a job uh, in its own sort of way, but uh, largely forgettable. Um, <laughs> so that that was the entirely forgettable uh, Formula One Grand Prix from Monza. Um, I'm not even going to ask you to sum it up because there isn't anything to sum up, is there? It, it comes down to Nico Rosberg has a better start than uh, Lewis. Lewis drops some places. That was the end of the race. That was when all the interesting stuff pretty much pretty much finished. Um, other than my personal point about seeing Jensen Button do some overtakes, which always makes me happy. But um, Singapore next. I'm not sure what to make of Singapore this year. Um, I'm. I have a slight suspicion that we might see Red Bull turn up in a big way at Singapore. Um, it's notoriously not a good track for the Mercedes um, because it's so twisty and turny, um, and the straights, you know, the, the straights as they are don't necessarily uh, allow them to maximise what their package is. The Red Bull has clearly shown that it can do pace uh, and has a good aero package around Spa. Um, it could be the race that they maybe get to be able to turn up and, um, you know, maybe show a bit of something for once um, and maybe maybe push the Mercedes just a little bit. Yeah, I, I'm, I would not be surprised. Um, this track, Monza, was always going to be uh, probably a little bit tough for them as proven with the result. But Singapore, yeah, I've totally... I can get on board with that theory. I think they might. Well, I'm hope so. Well, <laughs> because as we alluded to at the start, you know, we need something, something going on up front there. Do you think the Red Bull will be comfortably ahead of the Ferrari then? You uh, I take that. Have to say that that is um, your assumption. That is my my feelings on it. Um, I Ferrari did have a one and three there last year. They did, and uh, it's not me saying that the car is bad in any way, shape, or form. Or saying that they can't potentially come up and and be good. But Spa would make me think that Rebel will probably have the edge in the circuits where aero mm. is more important, um, and Ferrari are going to look better where they can shake off the downforce and probably let the engine go a bit. Um, you got a kind of um, you have to. You have to kind of sort of you got Monaco is probably in a similar vein to Singapore, you would say. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean Danny Monaco Rick. Monaco is much more extreme, but um Yeah, it's still. still it's uh it's twisty, it's tight, you know. Danny Rick put it on pole and Monaco finished second behind Lewis. So you have to suggest that uh it should be good here, in theory. Hope so. Hope if we can get that similar kind of competition you know a red bull being able to surprise us with a pole just to mix it up i mean i would i would take that because we've seen you know the the mercedes doesn't necessarily travel behind cars that brilliantly it, it, it will probably ultimately pass them in the end but that's not always uh, a case of just breezing up and, and 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 walking by them so if we can get perhaps the red bull to sneak the pole or something just to Make it a lot more interesting off the start line. That that would be good. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think anything where we can see a, a car turn up and uh, and have kind of um, genuine pace is um, only good for this season where we're getting kind of um, kind of used to not um, not having that uh, 
that luxury. Um, I'm just trying to find. Um, I saw somewhere that the provisional 2017 calendar came out, and I wanted to talk to you about it because it's quite interesting. Um, let's see if we can find it. We we got um, a couple of weeks later, isn't it? This year. Yeah, so we allow the teams to develop the cars a little bit more because of the the reg changes. I think so. Um, we've got a, an Australian China back to back to kick us off, which I think the teams are probably loving. Not, um, <laughs> and there are a lot more. Um, back-to-back races overall I think scheduled um, so I think there will be a lot more um, I really want to find it now but it's <laughs> I really can't uh, I can't seem to see it oh well the the basics of it were that there is there's definitely a lot more back-to-back races um, and I was kind of wondering, do you prefer it when F1 is like that, where we get two races back to back and then we have uh, a break in between them? Or do you prefer it when they're, uh, more, they're more strung out so we have a couple of weeks between them so you can kind of wait and savour the next one and it's a bit it's a bit less rushed? I can't say I have a particular preference either way, to be honest. Uh, my life seems to just breeze in whatever happens so it feels like something's constantly going on okay no, so I mean, even even know. even the big four weeks in uh, in august there seem to go pretty quickly to me so that's not, not something that particularly fusses me that much to be honest so it will be uh australia china back to back uh then bahrain russia and spain i think all have the normal gap uh and monaco uh then uh and then it's a gap where we will have Canada followed immediately by Azerbaijan, then a gap, and then we will have Austria followed immediately by Britain, then a gap, and we have Hungary immediately followed by Germany, then we have the break, uh, and then we have um, Belgium immediately followed by Italy, then a break, we have Singapore pretty much all on its own then, um, right in the centre of se- September, and then another break until Malaysia, immediately followed by Japan. I quite like Malaysia being back at this end of the calendar. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that's it's. Um, it certainly was when you do Singapore, Malaysia, and Japan it makes such a much, so yeah. much more sensible to have all of those in the one. It's just weird that China appears all at the front on its own, but then you know that's the Chinese for you probably. Um, then it's uh, a break, and then you have. Uh, Austin and then Mexico back to back then a break again and then you have Brazil and then a break and then Abu Dhabi so that's weird as well I don't know kind of what must they it's just so weird that Abu Dhabi just appears at the end why don't we have Abu Dhabi and Bahrain near one another it just makes no sense Abu Dhabi, Bahrain and Russia and China would all kind of make sense to have one around the other if you went from australia to china to to russia and then down to bahrain and abu dhabi that would make so much more sense to have it all in that sort of you area you know why first. it is though don't you well because they pay bernie a large amount of money but that's right it's, it's the season finale so. 
it's okay. irritating because they've actually planned it really nicely. If you if you kind of look at it, you've got all of these sort of flyaway races. Then you've got Monaco yeah. and Canada sort of sat in the middle in their weird positions that they, they kind of exist in. Because Canada has never really ever taken place around any of the US races. Um, so you, no, I mean, Canada's you, always sort of had that similar spot every season in that in that Mary area. And I kind of like that because you get Monaco, which is one type of circuit, and then it's followed by Canada, which is the top, totally opposite end of the scale. But um, both very good in their own way. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. I kind of like that. So I'm quite. I wouldn't actually move those. But then you've got the whole European season from Azerbaijan all the way through to um, Italy. Then you get the three sort of Asian races of Singapore, Malaysia, and Japan. Then you get the three American races of US, Mexico, and Brazil. And I know Brazil isn't America, but it's the Americas, if you if you see what I mean. It makes sense to go US, Mexico, Brazil. But then there's this just stupid <laughs> this stupid bit at the end where we decide to fly back to the Middle East for no apparent reason. Yeah, I just... Ugh, I'd get rid of the track altogether. It's not a particularly good racetrack either, so... No. Uh, well, Brazil. I mean, you say, why is it there? Because they pay Bayern a lot of money. That's great. Well, well then, should we talk about the fact that perhaps that we, uh, Formula One's about to be to be sold? We could be in. So the rumor has it. In for the end of the Mister E era. Although I, one suspects he will hold on for a year or two after any sale is agreed yeah. to steady the helm and just make sure that everything transitions. Uh, Liberty Media are the group who started this all off although apparently there is a counter offer in at the moment i haven't really read the details on it but liberty media are the people who have really pushed this through and cvc appear willing to sell to them now um and this was all down to the fact that the guy who runs cvc um didn't want to sell to anybody he didn't feel could take the sport on and do something with it uh and liberty media essentially uh pretty much rule the roost of cable television in the u.s um and they own virgin media over here um, oh, is that right? yeah they do uh which i think is very interesting and i wonder if sky would be looking over their shoulders at that thinking hmm this <laughs> is a this is a group who likes to you know chop up their uh um you know their their programming and, and flash it out over different multiple platforms does a does a totally exclusive deal with sky really fit into that that model Especially if Sky is the competitor, um, you would have thought that Liberty would have gone. Hmm, well, we'll let you have it for the however long you've you've got the contract for. But after that, we'll be taking it to Virgin Media. Uh, and goodness knows what that that'll mean. If they've any sense to bring back the audience, they'll um, uh, they'll get it online to be able to be paid for per race, um, and make the subscription to the channel standalone so that you don't have to buy six million other channels just to get the formula one because uh, if they do that they'll make the numbers back that sky essentially lost by um giving it away for free and then suddenly going actually if we do that we're not making enough money now you've got to pay for the whole of sky sports to get f1 which like people were not prepared to do uh and just force people off to go and find feeds from all over the place so um i don't know what it means for for formula one in the long term it really means that Formula One is still not going to really be ruled by a Formula it's One person. Yeah. Um, although apparently Liberty Media were quite keen that the F1 teams took on um, stocks of Formula One of, of FOM, so that they actually had interest 
in the sport doing well outside of their own personal interests. Okay. So that they, you know, uh, and that would be for all the teams. So even Sauber could potentially buy stock, which would then bear them a dividend and all the other bits and pieces. And if the sport is doing better and better, they'll obviously make more and more money. Um, that is the only piece of news that I've seen of any shape or form that makes me positive about it. Nothing negative per se. Um, I just, do you know what I mean? We've had CVC for so long with Eccleston controlling it. We just don't know what life is like when you have a massive investment firm um, who's willing to do the new things like reach out to social media and uh, and expand the broadcasting in ways that, that probably Eccleston and CVC just weren't ever going to do because they didn't want to invest in it in that way. But they are not F1 people. It is just a business. It's about growing the brand and the the TV reach and all of those kind of things. Yep, which is well, it's not great, is it? But I'm at the point where anything to get rid of Bernie <laughs> at that <laughs> point. So, uh, yeah, uh, we'll see what happens. It's still early days, I think. So I'm not, you know, let's we'll see. Don't know what's going to happen. It's just speculation, and I don't really like speculation. So, um, uh, time will tell on that one. But it's certainly. Uh, a, a big story to keep an eye on for sure absolutely well I think that's a good point to end the podcast um, and whilst we may not be able to uh, speculate on the future of Formula 1 uh, we can definitely speculate that we love having you tune in to us uh, every episode um, we're very pleased that you take the time to download our little podcast and listen to us waffle on about Formula 1 um, as always you can Download the show from www.lastlappodcast.co.uk. We have uh, updated our uh, website theme, and I think it looks all nice and fresh. Uh, but do let us know your thoughts on that. See whether you like it or not. Um, we are on the Twitters at Last Lap Podcast. We are on the Facebook. Uh, just search for the Last Lap F1 Podcast, uh, and you'll find our page. Just like us there. Uh, you can subscribe to us on pretty much any device anywhere. Uh, we are on iTunes. We are on uh, Android via. Um, uh, tune in or you can uh, add our RSS feed directly from our front page um, and we are also on Stitcher so you can download and absorb the podcast pretty much wherever you are whatever device it doesn't matter we're there for you uh, once again thank you very much for tuning in we will chat to you after the Singaporean Singaporean? Singapore? how do you do that one? Singaporean no it's just Singapore after the Singapore Grand Prix uh, we will be back uh, probably having worked out whether to say Singapore or Singaporean. Uh, <laughs> and we'll have all the action, hopefully, from a much more entertaining Grand Prix than Italy was this week. Uh, so again, thanks very much for listening, guys, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Cheers, guys.